Hello and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Path Podcast. This is your host, Phelan Sugarman-Lash, and this is episode number one of season two with Zach Johnston. Season two of the Authentic Path Podcast will all be about musicians and music and the music industry and how pretty much every musician I have met actually does a lot more than just music. Um, So to introduce Zach, Zach is a really amazing musician and he goes by the persona nom de guerre or whatever it's called of Sontag, and you can find his work on Spotify. He also does film scores, and he also was a singer and musician um, in a band called Fox, which is P-H-O-X, and they were really popular back like six, five, six years ago. So he's a super cool dude. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation with him. We covered a a lot of topics, and I hope you enjoy it too. Without further ado, this is episode number one of season two of the Authentic Path podcast. Enjoy. Three, two... Zach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Super stoked to talk to you about your journey. To get started, can you just give a little bit of an overview from how you got to childhood to being a musician and where you started to get into music? Of course. Thank you for having me, man. Um, I Let's see. Music. Well, how did I get into music? I guess... Um, I've never thought about this before. Um, my sister got like a Casio keyboard when we were kids and she didn't use it. And I started to play on that, make like fake little songs on that. Man, I have no idea how I got into music. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Um, so what are you up to these days? Just to give the audience a little bit of a, of a story about what you're up to as like a musician, film producer, all that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so I live in LA now. I've been here for like three years. I um, release music as Suntog and uh, I do film score. And I also um, make videos uh, less now than I used to sort of make them just like when there's a need for one. Um, at one point I wanted to be a, a filmmaker and that's generally been my life's mission. And I sort of am still wrestling with that, but uh, I keep I keep being drawn to music and it keeps giving me green lights. So I, I, I continue to do that. Gotcha. That's super interesting. Cause I discovered you through your solo music, um, on Spotify as Sontag and that's how I know you. So it's, it's interesting to hear you that you want to be more of a film producer. How have you been like wrestling between those two different passions of yours and trying to figure out how to become a filmmaker when it seems like music is giving you the go? Oh man, it's so, it's like, you know, when you're like, you're young and you're starting out, maybe you're like college age or ending high school and they're always like, you got to pick something and you know, you might have a bunch of passions, but you got to pick one thing. Um, I just was like, no, I'm not going to pick one thing. I love (laughs) that. Yeah. I just love love it. It's like, I'm going to do all of them. (laughs) And, uh, so I always made films in like school and stuff. And as a kid, I, I started editing when I was 10 years old, made movies with my friends. Um, we, I, I had bands when I was in like high school and middle school. So like I would do videos for us and it's just like always been a part of my, my world. And I even went to film school and I was a freelance videographer for many years. And so, but it's just weird. I think that with filmmaking, you need so much permission and so many resources and so much cooperation with large amounts of people and if you want to make stuff on a a high level a lot of times you need 
um, permission, you need money, you need involvement. And I know that we live in an era where it's like easier than ever to make a movie on your iPhone or whatever, and you can make stuff for cheap. But my, I think I realized at a certain point, like my taste was just, <laughs> I have expensive taste. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the things that I, the stories I want to tell and the things that I want to say are really grand. And I've never been able to like pare that. I've tried to pare it down. I've tried to get around that. And so at some point around like the age of, I don't know, 23 or something, I, I took to songwriting for some reason. Like I always grew up around all musicians. I've never really had filmmaker friends. I was just like, we were all musicians and I was the one that happened to make films. And uh, even in film school, I was like making records for fun in my room and they sounded like film scores. So there's just like, my relationship to film has always been sort of weirdly musical and like music videos have always been the kind of like entry point to that stuff. So, and, and when it comes to like making a film, you know, like I said, there's so much, all these things that you need to do. And when you write a song, you can just write it in your room. No one's permission. You can say anything you want. You can make the world, you can make this huge expansive world. And I think that's honestly why I'm drawn to music. It's like I can funnel cinematic ideas into music and achieve on some weird level the films that are in my head through songs. That's so cool. Um, one of the questions I really wanted to ask you about is your, uh, your album, Songs for Little John. To me, makes me feel like I'm on shrooms in the woods like a thousand years ago, just like exploring <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you, like, one, now that you've talked about, like, bringing into your music these, like, big worlds and doing world making through music, what is that like? Like, how do you imagine a world and then how do you create it in music? Um, and how does that process go for you? And also, what kind of worlds do you like to do you like to build? Yeah, well, OK, so for Songs for Little John, it was like, I think I when I used to write, or I thought about songwriting, I thought it had to be so like um coherent or like it had to be justified by some like really strong narrative all the time but um or you had to justify your aesthetic decisions but at a certain point I started just like giving into my fancies and my fetishes and being like I just want it like this animated films like old animated films like I love Winnie the Pooh like the the Disney Winnie the Pooh so much like the music from there and the animation is so perfect to me and I don't know. I'm trying to recall. There's a lot of musical influences too, but they're all kind of obscure, like weird folk musicians that like never really made it big. And um, I don't, I, Oh, one day I was living in Berkeley and I went to get a haircut and I passed this Japanese paper goods shop and I saw this mural and it was like, had toads, rabbits and foxes all over it and monkeys. And it was just like unbelievably captivating to me. And I did it. And I brought it home and I stared, I put it on my wall and I stared at it and I just saw an entire universe in there. And I just kind of stared at that picture while writing songs. And I found myself like writing songs, thinking that I was writing songs about this world and, and thinking maybe I was going to make an animated film that the, the songs would just be like instrumental. But then I started to sing over them. And then I found much later on after it was all completed that I was singing about myself, but I like had to do it through um, these like uh, aesthetic uh, constructs or whatever I had to, I had to do it through them or something. So, I mean, 
that world is like I, I guess with each album there's like a, like a really specific world and they're just like I for me I see it as like unearthing diff, unearthing different pieces of my psyche um that are sort of partitioned or whatever like that part is like a really tender and like innocent and sweet part of me whereas like other records given to maybe a more aggressive side of me or something like that. And I really try to like, uh, I don't know if I try to, but it just sort of happens that I like, you know, I don't know. I, I just like concept records a lot. I like records that feel like a universe and that feel like, um, yeah, like a, like a movie. I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I think like out of all the musicians I listen to, you're definitely one of the best at like world building, uh, in, in songs and in albums, especially. Your albums feel very cohesive to me, um, which is really cool. Like your the most recent one, Diplomat, is that that's the most recent one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that one, like, it just feels so I don't know, like eerie almost. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a song on it which is called uh I'm gonna butcher this pronunciation, but Walpersnatch. It's the one with all yeah, the running. Yeah, Walpersnacht. Walpersnacht, yeah. Um, I'm really just curious about what that song is about because my friends and I were listening to it one time and I was like jamming out to that song. I was like, this is so cool. And they were like, why is there just so many runnings all over and over and over again? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. That song is about leaving a comfortable situation and, and putting yourself through sort of a trial on purpose. Uh, in my case, it was leaving a, a good relationship, romantic relationship that I was in, um, that was good and it was really comfortable and really beautiful. But I had sort of, I knew in some ways there were pieces of me that were incomplete as like an independent person. And so, um, it's kind of like a Dante's Inferno type story of being like, I'm going to leave this thing and I need to, I'm running from, I'm, I'm running from the light, running from comfort, gambling my life. Like, when you leave something, it's like, even if you left like a good job to do something you're more passionate about, like you're leaving security and comfort and light and you're putting the, it's like the immediate, there's no immediate payoff. The payoff at first is not there. It's hell. It's not good and it's painful, but the long run, you'll might, you might, you know, find yourself in a better position. So that's what that song is about. Very cool. Yeah. There's a an album that just came out recently by Bruno Major. I don't know if you know who he is, but it's mm -mm. called um, Time to Let a Good Thing Die. He's like a jazz guitarist, kind of. Um, and the album is all about like letting a good thing go because it's time to move on. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently, um, just in my own life. Like, you know, what is the, the highest version of you and how do you get there? And is it by staying with what's comfortable and what's good? Or is it by like trying to get what's best, right? So those little pieces of yourself you're talking about missing, like how do you identify those and then seek after them and make sure you're trying your best? Yes, it's really yeah. hard. And, and having that compass, that uh, personal compass with yourself is so important to know that. It even extends down to a, a, a funny level of like when someone's telling a joke and it's really funny, there's like an exit point at which you should stop talking because the joke landed. But some people just like, keep hitting the same joke over and over and over trying to get more. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> metaphor. There are definitely like, those you gotta, people. You got to end on a high note with things, you know? 
Right. Yeah. There's this thing in, um, in theater that I've heard of where you want to like, or in comedy too, where you want, when the audience is at a high, they're like just about to like fall down on the other side of the peak and then you hit them with a new thing. So it's like building, 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 building until the very end. And then it like crescendos, you know? Yes. Which is probably similar to a song actually. Oh, yes. good song. Good song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm curious just to hear a little bit more about your background um, and then we'll get more into like your personal stuff if that's cool, like personal journey and all that. But, um, so you're from, you're from outside of Madison and you and some friends started playing music together and then you, um, got together and created Fox, which was a really, um, popular band like six years ago, five years ago. What was the, the journey of like joining that group and creating a new band and then touring like all around the world and with really big names, like head in the heart and all those people. It was very wild, man. It yeah, was <laughs> insane. I Fox actually formed um, all my friends that were from Baraboo, Wisconsin. Everyone in that band's from Baraboo, Wisconsin. It's 5,000 people. And the uh, band actually formed when I was living in Berkeley. Our connection unfortunately cut out here, but he was talking about Berkeley and how he moved there because he really wanted to work at Pixar and how he was in Berkeley when Fox actually started to get together. This band actually formed, um, and they didn't have any songs, so they actually covered my first record, uh, Zontag record, which is called In Pads Too Dark for Seeing. It's not on Spotify. It's on, like, my band camp. Um, And I actually made this record with, yeah, it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's special baby record, so I'm, like, I'm really proud of, like, slightly immersed of it, so I keep it, like, (laughs) just one layer beneath um, um, total uh, being able to see it. Um, but, uh, so anyway, this band formed covering my songs. Um, my life started to kind of break down in Berkeley and I was like ready for a change. And so they're like, just come back to Wisconsin, just come hang out with us. And so they all lived in a house together. I moved in there. Um, we hung out, they were making music. Um, we came up with this idea to make like a video EP called, ended up being called Confetti. We like shot an EP and they recorded it at the same time in like two weeks. Um, wow, you did that in two weeks? That's crazy. I watched it and it, that's nuts. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it, the weirdest the things the most messed up about it is as I was done editing it, which wasn't, you know, only took days because, you know, we were just on a crunch. We were trying to submit it for South by Southwest. And um, my hard drive with all the footage failed no. right as I finished that edit. And so I looked it up online and it looked like it was one of those things where time was important to recovering it. So I rushed to a place, they recovered 90% of the footage, and then I re-edited the entire video from scratch. Um, We submitted that to like, and and we went to South by and like premiered the film there. And then uh, like a month later, we had management, lawyer, label, all the things. And it just like kept going fast and it was just yeah so I had like I had no plans to be in a band um I had every intention of being a filmmaker and that was like my whole goal and my whole game um and so but I found myself like in this mix of all these like people that I found so fascinating and like filming them and being part of the band was just so unique to me that I I I couldn't in this thing so 
anyway, we went to South management lawyers and labor within like a month and then just kept so much momentum behind it. And we found ourselves feeling insane because we were essentially this local band that all been, you know, gaining a lot of traction. Um, yeah, very cool. And then, so South by Southwest is like an incredible event that that's put on. And that must've been really cool. Like just meeting a bunch of people there. And then you toured with the head and the heart, which is like one of my favorite bands. And then also you played with the Lumineers, both like, those are just crazy, crazy big names. So what was it like meeting those people and then like going around the country and, and to New Zealand and Australia with, with everyone? There's no money, but you, you are at the same time feeling like you've achieved something on some level, but you're also living like low, way below the poverty line. And like, yeah, um, wow. you're, you're like flying around the world and you're doing all this shit, but you're like, you have no personal life. It's a very weird and mixed thing to do. We knew the, we opened up the Lumineers because we had the same management. Um, hmm, so gotcha. pretty, pretty quickly on, we were thrust in to open up for them at like the iTunes music festival. And uh, we were just like, why are we here? It was just very strange. The whole thing was very fast. Um, and uh, yeah, being in that band was, was cool. I loved it on like a personal level. I wasn't, it was just like happening to us. It didn't feel like we were really in control of anything that was going on. We That's were so like, well, well here, whatever, man. Because we were all like friends from high school and we weren't like ambitious or big achievers on the whole. We were just like, whatever, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. I was thinking about this the other day when I was talking to some friends about like what happens to you and what you make happen and like what the difference is when you're trying to be like your authentic self because and then walking the balance between like the world has your back if you let it right or god or whatever you believe in like is there for you usually um and so like you know if if this is just like happening to you like maybe it's the right thing to happen right like in the pursuit of happiness the the kid is like tells a joke about this guy who's drowning in the ocean and he's like the a boat comes and he's like no like they're like oh can I save you and he's like no like God will save me and then they leave and then another boat comes and they're like hey can we save you and he's like no God will save me and then he like drowns and then goes to heaven and God's like why didn't you get on those boats I sent right and like that to me is a good metaphor for life sometimes of like you know you got to take the trip you want but on the other hand on the other, other side of the coin like it's so important to be intentional about what you're spending your time with. And even if it might be cool or impressive in other people's eyes, if it doesn't feel right to you, then it's not right for you. You know, hundred percent. I fully agree. I mean, like I'm so about now I, when I was younger, my biggest like thing I struggle with is like a crazy, I have a lot of ambition, but it's like a, it's not a typical ambition. It's like a self man versus self ambition of like, um, I don't know, pushing myself to achieve some sort of thing. Uh, and being in that band was like never my dream, but I found myself in a dream that I didn't conjure. And I think that in a lot of ways that was more beautiful because I learned more about myself and about my friends and I was just put into this wild situation. It's like the things you can't plan for are so much more rewarding sometimes. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's like, sorry, I probably sound like a doofus talking about it because it's just like, it's like a three-year psycho trip that I can barely still wrap my head around <laughs> no I think there's a lot of wisdom there um and I'm sure it must have been insane like 
for everyone who goes to the concerts, you go and you watch the band and then you go home, right? But, like, all of the people who are touring, like you said, are living on very little money and, like, not home for months at a time. And it's just insane, right? So I'll never forget the time we uh, <laughs> we played on Late Night TV for the first time. We played on Conan. Yeah. And uh, that night, I remember getting a text from a friend or something. Oh, and I, I was, so I was, we played Conan the next morning. We were on an airplane to fly to Iceland to play the Iceland Airwaves Festival. Wow, that's crazy. And I got, I got two texts at the same time. One text was the film that I had scored with my friend Matteo, who was also in the band, was going to be Oscar nominated. And the other text was a notification from my bank saying my account was like $300 overdrawn. Oh, holy shit. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> and I wow. was like, here we go, baby. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, these are actually like two segues I want to take, and I'll leave it up to you. Um, one, I want to hear about the Damn Keeper and your experience with that. And then on the other hand, I want to hear about what it's like to be a starving uh, artist. Because I heard, I was reading this book. Um, there's a film composer, super famous, totally blanking on his name. Um, but he talked about how, like, you know, when you're just living with a bunch of other people who are making music and it's so fun and you just don't have money, that, like, actually means you have more time and more energy to just, like, put into working or, like, having fun, right, and, like, making music and doing art with people. Um, so I'm curious about those two paths of conversation, and you can pick one, and then we'll come back to the other. I'll take starving artists because I'm the, I'm the quintessential starving artist. <laughs> cool. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, I – it's – oh, man, what a weird thing. So – when we were in Fox, we didn't have day jobs. But after I was out of Fox, I needed to make money. I was living in Wisconsin for one year before I moved to L.A. And I remember... The connection dropped again. But Zach was talking about some friends that he had from when he was young and just young musicians in general. When they were musicians, young musicians, they all were obsessed with how to monetize it very early on. And their aesthetic decisions were all born out of that. And so I felt like they stopped dreaming and they stopped making practical decisions and making bad choices, which is what leads to fun, fun, you know, like fun mm. is not practical. It's not planned. Fun happens in a hectic world. And I have always treated the music like a hobby and I still treat Sontag as a hobby. We'd love for it to be monetized and it has minor ways of that now. But um, I think that because it's a hobby for me, it is a fully free space for me to be it's just for my soul. And in and I, and I think a lot of artists who indirectly are successful because they are actually just doing, they're putting their real selves into it instead of sort of modifying themselves for um, a reward. Um, but I also, and, and for that same reason though, I think that there's no shame and I think it's good to have a day job. I think it's good because we're left to do music all the time have this freedom all the time sometimes sometimes like having the day job is cool like i worked at a grocery store for the first two three years i was in la and i worked the morning shift and i would work at 3 a.m and i would like stock really heavy labor at like 3 a.m and I'd have my um, headphones on and i would be playing my demos and i would be writing my lyrics like in my head and it was like doing having the contrast between like doing being made to do something you do not want to do is such a good and healthy thing. I think for an artist or anyone to do 
And then when you finally do get that moment to express yourself, it's so much more of a release because there's some tension before that happens, you know? Yeah, that's super wise. Um, wow. My friends, my friends like, who have like big label deals and stuff, like amazing for them, it's cool, but they all kind of struggle with completion because they have all the money, they have all the time, and it sort of eats away at them. It depends on your, your everyone's individual relationship to it, but I, I found for me that like I used to think, oh God, if I could just do music all day, every day, that would be the thing. But I've actually found that having like if I could go and like dig holes <laughs> in the ground <laughs> during ever do something more practical annual letter, it actually like I don't know, for me it's it's it makes the whole thing a lot more complete. That's really cool. I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. There's a, a book called Originals by this guy named Adam Grant, and he talks about a similar, like, very different rationale, but, like, a similar output from the thoughts, which is basically, like, if you have a day job, then you're not stressed about money, so you're free to just, like, do your art for fun, you know? Which is, like, great. Yeah, that sounds really, really good. And it's part of, like, part of, like, actually in doing this podcast, that's part of like the, what I've realized is that a lot of people who are like throwing themselves into what they think they want to, to be or to do like end up being really stressed about it because it's so hard, like, which is not a bad thing necessarily, but it's just like, you have to be intentional about what is actually right for you and not just do what other people do. Right. Very much so. Which is like the name of the game of the podcast, but <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot there. I mean, if I, if Zuntag were my entire means of living, I think that it would create some obstacles for me. And, and, you know, those would be obstacles that I could learn and learn to deal with in time. But I've always, I've always sort of put score composing and stuff like that. It's like, in my mind, at least at this moment, that's like the thing I want to do for a career. And um, the Zuntag stuff is just kind of like my diary. It's just like my personal thing. You know, I don't like yeah keep a diary or really think that much about myself on the whole. So it's just kind of where I funnel all my, any self-reflective thoughts I have going there. And the idea of that being the way that you like eat and live is such a strange relationship. Yeah. I've thought a lot about that too, just as a writer and as someone who's interested in doing music in the future, like, do I really want to sell my diary? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> you know, there's like the outcome of my diary or my journaling, right. Which is like, maybe some ideas or cool pieces of art, but like all of it, like, no, that's mine. Yeah. It's good to keep some for yourself, I suppose. Yeah. Um, okay. So going in the other direction then, uh, what was your experience with, um, the dam keeper and also where can I watch it? Cause I couldn't find it on the internet. Oh, it's, um, on iTunes. I think it's like two bucks. Sweet. Okay. That's awesome. Um, dam keeper. Yeah. So when I moved to, um Berkeley I moved there in like 2011 with the hopes of looking at Pixar and I happened to meet the the lead art director for Toy Story 3 his name is Daisutsumi a mutual friend weirdly met him at a comic convention they exchanged information and then my that very friend was visiting me in LA right before I moved to San Fran and he's like wow. hey let's meet Dice That's so, so like, cool. and then yeah it's really weird and then you know, I never thought about score composing. I have no musical training. I wasn't in, I wasn't in, I didn't even play in band in school. Like I'm fully just whatever. So, wow. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. 
And uh, I met this guy and he heard some of my, my first Suntog record, which was just kind of like this thing I, I did a while ago. It wasn't really something I was like, you know, on the surface. And he was like, so in love with something about it. And he's like, will you score li my little personal projects for me? And I was like, sure. And so I developed a relationship with him and we did little projects together. Finally, I, I went to Wisconsin to join Fox. And at that very same time, he left Pixar with a buddy of his to start their own studio called Ponko House. And their first film they wanted to do was The Dam Keeper. And I, I wanted to have someone help me with it. So I just like, I was living in the house with all the Fox people. And I went downstairs to Mateo, who's my score partner. And I was just like, hey, do you want to help me with this thing? And he's like, <laughs> sure. He didn't even like look up from his computer. He's just like, sure. Um, and we scored this film in GarageBand over the course of like six months and, you know, finished it. And then long story short, it, you know, got uh, an Oscar nomination and kind of, you know, skyrocketed the studio as being, I don't know, an important indie studio or something like that. Um, and so over the years, we've continued to, we've scored a hundred percent of their films. So they, they're just kind of like, wow, that's great. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's like, my favorite thing that's ever happened to me in my life it's just like so fun i love the i love the philosophy of the studio like i like love animation and i'm particular about it and they like fit into what i find to be like quality a quality thing and they yeah i just feel really lucky so we we continue to score for them and now we're actually we're about to um score a netflix show for them uh like next year that's really exciting I'm so stoked about it because it's like uh, based on Japanese mythology. And so we get to kind of create sound from that world. And I don't know, it's just, it's just a good fit. I'm, I'm blathering on, but I just feel like that is the, if there's anything that's happened that I'm really grateful for, it's that relationship because that's just like the thing I look forward to the most is going those films. That's awesome. Um, what did it feel like in the moment when you, realized how much you loved what you were doing and then how did you change your life to adopt that passion as your priority damn damn that's good um i think it's just like in doing it i don't know it's more of like the it's like no matter what i do it always feels the same to me but the feedback from the outside world is different sometimes. Like sometimes mm. people are really excited about it. Sometimes people aren't. But with the score stuff, the studio and people were so enthusiastic about what we did. My friend Mateo and I had this beautiful relationship where it's just fun. It's laughs. Like we don't have arguments. It's just like, a. it's just so fun. It's beautiful. The work out nicely. The people we work with are great. And so, I don't know, we would put in like a 14 hour day doing it and I still like didn't want to stop I think that's like when you realize like holy shit like this is when time passes and you're just like basically when you get in a flow state essentially yeah. I think that's when it's like it's just so effortless to do it and it's like uh, scoring films is not writing songs and it's not making movies and I didn't plan on that being a thing that I love but it's just it's a thing that comes easy to me and to my with with the partner i have it just comes easy to us or, or something like that and that ease uh spoke i guess that like knowing how how fun and easy it was and how we kept getting more opportunities 
don't know, it just seemed right. So how I shaped my life around it was I was like living in Wisconsin. And I was like, well, I'm going to move to L.A., I guess, because I always kind of like rolled my eyes at moving to L.A. I still do. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, because I was like from Wisconsin and my band was from Wisconsin and we were all about like, no, this doesn't just have to be like, you know, bad singer songwriter folk shit all the time. Like this can be, you know cutting edge and we can be making exciting art for the world um you know it's like also where bonnie Vare is from and so like that his like story was inspiring to all this so it was with great hesitance but also just being like you know i'm gonna move to la i'm gonna make connections there hopefully and mateo eventually came out here too a little later than me but um we we situated ourselves to make it in hollywood baby <laughs> Well, it sounds like you're doing it if you're getting on Netflix, right? Success part one. <laughs> What's funny is we could have easily stayed in Wisconsin and gotten the same thing. We've honestly, since living here, I've gotten no opportunities. <laughs> and, and nothing that we've done is a result of be physically being here. But this place has been like the people here and the things, the people I know are, that's been so uh, enriching. Yeah, so what is it like to surround yourself with the right kinds of people that support you to be the person you want to be? Oh, man, it's everything. Like, so I live in a house with three other guys, and there's kind of a gaggle of musicians that come around the house in Silver Lake, and we're kind of like the home base for, you know, practices. We have like a little studio in our garage, and it's where people write and record, and different acts come through, and people stay here on tour, and there's illustrate illustrators in our friend group that do like our album covers there's me doing video there's songwriters arrangers producers and everyone helps each other out and like That's i could have so never cool. made diplomat if i didn't have these people like i made it i made it you know in this house and it's just like i just think sometimes like i just wouldn't have made it if i didn't live here it's just like a weird coincidence yeah so I think that that kind of contradicts what you were saying before about like being in a place that didn't really affect like your your opportunities, right? Just because, yeah. I mean, the people that you found in a new setting are like, and that's that's what LA is all about, right? Is like artistic, creative people. Very much. And like, I've moved a lot in my 20s and I, I uh, everything thing is about people for me like i don't really care what the city has to offer i don't care like if it's hot or if it's cold or they have a cool downtown or i don't care i don't care about that shit me it's just like places are people and so hmm. this the people and also i will say for la like being around people who have decided to come here to be better makes you better for sure like totally. there's a higher bar and like i have a lot of friends that are scared to move here maybe because they think like oh it's scary it's LA like uh, what if I'm not good and I'm like they will make you better like your friends will hold you to a higher standard and that will rub off on you and you will get better as a result like I think that that's huge and that's like a an, a thing that you got to tackle if you want to be I don't know better at what you do yeah absolutely I think the fear of this is something that comes up a lot in conversations I have with people is is not so much like the fear of failure, but the fear of like your success, not being as good as you think it could be or something weird like that. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so tr that's so true because, Oh man. Well, just for me, like, I think that, like I said, like, I struggle with, um, 
it, I've calmed down over the years as I've gotten older and as I've like found small achievements and things. But like, uh, I think at some point I realized that I was actually afraid of success. Uh, yeah. And I would like sabotage my own success because I don't know. I don't know what it was about it. I think I probably still do it, honestly. Um, I, I'm really bad at, I'm really bad at putting myself out into the world because that's not like what I do it for the the marketing or the promotion or whatever it's just so not in like as a person when I enter a room at a party I I, I don't seek to be seen I'm not like a total wallflower or anything but I'm just kind of like more of an observer type person I guess so the idea of doing that with your diary and coming out and being like look read look at my emotions now <laughs> right. look at them is so strange and yeah the the success of what could come from that is like kind of spooky sometimes so how have you dealt with that and like i mean you're probably still dealing with it like you said but how have you learned to you know be more i don't know if it's like courageous or confident in your own ability to be successful or whatever you would describe like that movement from uh, fear of success to embracing your personal success how have you managed to do that mm. well i think in my mind i partition it like there's creative success and then there's like monetary material plane success. Yes. Absolutely. I have not even, I have not even begun to negotiate the material plane success a little bit. I mean, I'll make a pathetic attempt once in a while to uh, get myself out there a little more with something. Um, but creatively I feel deeply successful and not, not like patting myself on the back. Like what I make is so great. It's more like, are you able to say what you want to say clearly and like execute wow. a vision? Like, Back yeah. in the day, I used to come up with an idea and it would come out different and that's like felt bad. Sometimes it was better as a result. But, but like nowadays, like when I go to make a song or I go to make a record, I want it to sound like this. I want to say this and I can do it now. And it feels really good. And I, for me, that's creative, creative success. And like I, I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. I'm not afraid to like say what I feel. I'm not afraid to take risks. I feel very like activated in that way and i feel like i'm in a a flow state in that in terms of that just like it's like when people bring me their art and they're like what do you think of this it's always really hard for me they're like give me notes i'm like i can't give you notes like my first re reaction my response is always well did you did you do it <laughs> i'm like did you say <laughs> did you say it did you say what you wanted to say like do you feel like you got it off your chest and that's always my thing like i don't really poke at the the details i'm just like have you, because you can be like, oh, that drum is through this, that, that, none of that shit really matters. It's just like, did you, did you take like a spirit idea that was inside you and did you unearth it? And do you feel like better because you did it or something like that? Yeah, that's super interesting. One of my previous podcast guests, we were talking about one of the songs that he wrote and how he woke up and remembered a dream. Um, and he wrote the song like right then and there because there's that like moment of clarity for art and then as soon as the clarity is gone like it's really hard to manifest or unearth that spirit um and it's really interesting to think about like how music interacts with that and like the time crunch of just like needing to get something out but then also like reiterating for month about like what this song sounds like and you know yes yes i i think it's like it is interesting because like, I feel like I'm always writing old songs, like I'm finishing old songs and there's like the, the burst, the moment of like the demo 
is like the burst and the spirit and like you have to not overcook it i think sometimes or just like serve the idea the best you can and then it becomes more of a mechanical like craft process of like you know preserving the original spirit of the thing and and sometimes you can run into the problem of um if your edit is overly critical or editing yourself too much you can ruin the original idea um there's been so many times where like a friend is like listen to this finished thing and i'm like the demo was better (laughs) yeah (laughs) the demo was better yeah it's like your joke thing earlier when you go too far yeah don't overcook it (laughs) yeah um it's it's interesting because i think that that's also like a really applicable way to think about life too like if you think about in terms of like there you we all have these bursts of energy right like when we have an idea or we're excited about something, it's just like, yes, I'm going to do this. And then it slowly like drifts down. And then we're like, ah, you know, like I meditated for a month, but now I think I'll stop. Right. But it's like, how do you then like keep yourself consistent and accountable to like keep going on something, even if it's not exciting anymore. Right. Dude. I think that, I think that so much of that is like, I think there's some value to treating art like a blue collar job sometimes like people i make a lot more music than a lot of my peers or i release a lot more and they're like why and how do you do this and i'm like because it's my job like i'm a songwriter therefore my job is to make songs and i will make songs and i kind of like when i have those moments where i'm like losing inspiration on something it's not working i'm like just pretend you are a person who like makes cakes like pretend you're a baker and you just like he the baker doesn't get to go to work and be like i I just don't feel like it today i'm not inspired yes do it and so i think that there's something yes it's it's important to preserve inspiration but i think also like kind of toughening up and just sucking it up and being like i'm just gonna work through this process methodically i'm gonna lean i'm gonna I'm going to lean into the part of my brain that is craft and, and take what I know about song structure, what I know about tension and release or chords or that and, and take them like, cause with a song, it's like maybe the lyrics and the melody are the, the most spiritual part of it sometimes. But then it's like figuring out what the string arrangement is going to be is like, that's kind of more of a mechanical process for me. So I'm like, okay, I'll just focus on the strings right now. And then when I'm feeling inspired again, I'll come back to the lyrics or come back to the part that's like the heart of it. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you about like how what your songwriting process looks like because it's so like your songs are so unique, so that's really interesting. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um well, I can only play guitar. So it's uh starts on a guitar, I guess. It's diff- I don't know, it's different for different records because I've gotten a lot more self-sufficient over the years. Like in the beginning I needed a lot more help and a lot more like assistance, but through scoring I've learned a lot more about arrangement and stuff, so like diplomat I felt like was almost it used to just be so many more players on the records and it's slowly getting pared down to less and less people and there are songs that are on there that i entirely did on my own so uh it's just melodies i just like melodies a lot i like like the comfort of like um having like a really nice melodic structure and i really like chords a lot like the just chord and melody relationships are everything to me and making sure that it's something that's valuable without arrangement that can be played on its own is, is important. So yeah, I just go in and I just make like a really dusty demo of what I'm doing. I don't care about how any of it sounds. And I lay down mumble lyrics first, where I just say 
gibberish words. Um, some of them end up staying, some of them don't. Uh, I guess there's, there's nothing too unique or weird about my process. It's just kind of like I demo it, I slowly arrange it. And then once there's like a proof of concept in the demo form, I have my friends come and slowly re replace the the parts that I've made like on the computer one by one. Like someone come and do bass, someone come and do background vocals, the drums will get replaced. And then at the end, you've got something that sounds, you know, like music. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I think one of the things I heard a quote a long time ago, and it was like, there are no solopreneurs, right? Like every entrepreneur has a bunch of people behind them helping them. And I, it's the same with musicians, but I think from the outside, I've never really noticed that. Like, if there's a, a person whose band is like just their name, I like expect them to have done everything or like for a long time I did. And now I'm just realizing how absurd that is. Yes. It's rare that someone does everything on their own. Like even Sufjan who does play most of his instruments and stuff a lot of the time has, you know, a string arranger and, you know, has other people come in. So, okay. One of the questions that I wanted to ask that we haven't gotten to yet is, you are like such an artistic and creative person. And you said you started editing when you were 10, right? Which is crazy. Um, were you always this creative and, and was there like a transition point for you? And then how did you growing up through like high school, young adult age, like escape the, or not escape, but get past the pressures of society to conform and, you know, get a, a quote unquote real job and all of that stuff. Like, what was your process of, of being authentic and being courageously like yourself? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, okay. So I've always, even when I was like in middle school and I was editing videos and stuff, like my friends would all be like sleeping downstairs and I would get up at like seven in the morning and start editing whatever they shot that night because I just was so excited to see it. I never thought that it was like hard work or thought that I was being ambitious or anything it's just like I literally like I just want to see it happen um I want to see the thing made and I have like I think I got a lot of drive from my dad like my parents are really opposite um personality my dad is very like type a driven business successful type of guy and my mom is more like a flower child German lady and um I am fully their two personalities and like nothing in between i'm like very extremely like soft but also very extremely like driven and really like want to create and produce and finish and build things yeah so like um so i think that i never when i was graduating high school i didn't think about career stuff at all i was like from a small town and i was just like i think at that point i was just like i guess i'll just be a music video director or something um nice. and then yeah and but i found i actually didn't care about music videos at all and i didn't really like them i, didn't, I still don't really watch music videos i don't really care like when someone comes out with one i'm like whatever uh there was a small period like after college i started being a freelance videographer because i wanted to make a living doing that instead of having a job and i was able to do that for a number of years and there was like a small period in my early 20s where i really wrestled with pressures to do something but it was never because it wasn't who I was it was just like you when you're living in the midwest you don't know people that do 
movies and music for a living. You don't know anyone like that. So it seems really far-fetched. Like people that grew up on the West Coast or in LA, they all know someone who's doing it. Like it's all around here. But in the Midwest, that's not a thing. That's not a thing people do. Like, so. Yeah, it was the same for me growing up. Small town, rural area. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm just from Western Massachusetts. So it's, it's not at all close to Boston. Okay, word. Okay, so small town. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like, it's not really in your DNA to think that that's a thing. So right. Yeah, I didn't understand that I could like dream and create my own life until one of my <laughs> mentors in college was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't know, the desire to make creative work has always just been a part of me. I don't know where it came from. And it just has been very consistent. Like I just whether I was making commercial like awning videos or I was making a music video for a friend, it just all felt like the same thing to me. I'm just finishing an edit. I'm just finishing an edit. I'm just doing this thing. I had a lot more trouble when it came to music with like wrestling with what that meant and stuff. And I don't know, I struggled a lot. I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of trouble. Like when I was living in Berkeley and I was trying to get that job at Pixar, like I felt like I was so old, even though I was only like 24 years old. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be 25 and I still don't know what the fuck I'm going to do with my life. And like that crisis, I would argue is honestly maybe still alive in me today. And I'm like 33 years old. Um, but all I know is like, I decided that like, whether I am successful with the things that I do or not, it is worth it to speak spend your life doing them because it is not about the it's not about the product and it's not about the result it's about how you felt while you were doing them so like yep. when i finish a record i'm sad as fuck like i do not <laughs> yeah. like finishing records i hate release day i hate it um i love the process of making them and i think that's why i make as much as i do it's because i just always want to be making shit the high of making shit is so it's better than any anything and it to me it's just like the best feeling in the world it 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 involves collaboration and visual art and storytelling and branding it's just like it's everything so anyway i'm making this too long but like basically i've decided somewhere along the way that if there's like a a box of records of the records that i made at the end of my life to leave behind for someone in my family or just people i know that is totally worth it to me because I don't care about being remembered by the entire world. I just like when we die, it's like the people who loved you, the people who knew you as you, like you're a, you're a fucking celebrity to those people because you're a big person in their lives. And I don't know, just also just making a, making an example, I think for other people is cool. Like I feel like in my life, people have told me sometimes or younger people that find me, they like, they like, I I don't know. I want to make other people feel like, it's okay. Like I think in America, like we're just very focused on our jobs being our identities and we don't give enough weight to our hobbies and our passions and making like serious hobbies or serious passions, like a valuable thing. I think maybe more now they are, but I just think it's, it's just worth it. It's just fully worth doing that because what's the alternative? Like I'm not going to try. So then, so, so, uh, you don't make anything then. And then you just live with regret forever. And regret is like Killer. biggest fear. Killer. That's yeah. the biggest regret. Your biggest fear is regret. So I, I'm just trying to have no regrets later. You know, I'm just trying to yeah. like turn over every stone that I can. Yeah, that was awesome. That was like so much good stuff in there. There's like, there's that Thoreau quote about like when he's on his deathbed, he wants to look back and know that he lived the right life or something. 
Um, and then I'm also reading a book right now. It's in the Way of Kings series. It's a fantasy book. And there's this, like, motto of these of the group in the book. And it's um, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. And that was, like, totally what you were just saying. And I so relate to it. Um, yeah, it's really, really, really important. I've been getting, like, super into Buddhism recently and just, like, trying to be now and not be in the past or in the future and it's so much better when you can just like know that you're working hard to be yourself and growing and just like at peace with like that knowledge you know yes there do you know alan watts i know of him but i have not consumed much of his content he's great you would love him he's like he calls himself a spiritual entertainer um cool and his videos online and his talks are incredible they really shaped me when i started making music and in one particular, I mean, this might be basic in, in, in terms of like Zen and things like that, but it stuck with me and it actually made it as a song lyric of mine. But he, he basically just said, like, when we are too obsessive about controlling our lives, it's like taking like a river is flowing and it's beautiful and it's a flowing thing. And then when you try to control it so much, you're putting and you take a bucket and you try to capture that river water. It has no flow anymore. It's trapped in this bucket. Hmm. So... It's like that, that image to me has always been like the idea of creativity or the idea of trying to over control, or as we we're saying earlier, like overcook something. It's like, you need to let things be what they are and yeah. let them flow. If you try to trap them in a bucket, they will fucking just be water in a bucket. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Cool. Um, I think we've touched on this, but I always ask it. So I just want to wrap up with this question of um, what does authenticity mean to you and how do you know you're doing it well? Mm, authenticity means a lot to me. It means a great deal. Maybe more than it should. <laughs> um, Probably not. I think it's very important. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. Um, it means a lot. Um, in a place like LA, with the people making the things they're making, you can run into a lot of in, you know, inauthentic things. Um, and I think authenticity, whether that's the art you're making being honest or the way you are, the, the way that you're honest with your friends and your family, um, even when it's like, when you're critical of someone you love or something like that, that authenticity is so much more valuable um, in the long run because people will trust you and they'll trust what you say and the things that you do reflect what what you say and i think it's important to be to live to live what you what you say and and, and maybe talk less and and show more um so like i think you know for me a lot of the decisions i've made in my life and to be this sort of having this like i don't know <laughs> slightly starving artist life um it's it, it's like maybe on the more cynical edge i'm like oh i'm a self-satisfied guy who's you know um you know made up in his own mind what he thinks of himself and he hasn't put himself to test with the rest of the world but the other part of me is like i'm living by my values like even if it's something small like for me like i hate social media uh and i remember my cousin who kind of manages me we were talking in early days and he's like, well, you got to have a Twitter, you got to have a Facebook and all stuff. And I was like, I don't believe in that stuff. I think it's bad. And he's like, yeah, but think of how many more people you'll reach. And I was like, I don't like those platforms. They're bad. And we just didn't do it. And 
there are less people that see my work as a result of that, but I am happy when I go to sleep knowing that I don't like participate in something like that. And that's not to be overly moral. I, I wouldn't judge anyone else for doing that, but just like having my little ecosystem of, um, things in my world, like operating in a way that, that like suit my, my authentic self is, uh, I don't know. It just makes for a richer experience, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. A lot in there about integrity, I think, which is really, really valuable. Yeah. Very cool. So awkward transition now, but, um, if you would like to be reached somewhere, (laughs) where (laughs) where can people find your work? Just listen to me on Spotify. Perfect. Okay. I will link. Um, and for those who are curious, it's S-O-N-N-T-A-G. Yes, Which is, looks like it's your middle name or one of them. It's my middle name, my mother's maiden name. It means ah. Sunday in German. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I was wondering where that came from. Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Zach, for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and sharing your wisdom and journey with us. And I hope you do really well. You're such a well-spoken and um, really like wise human. So I really You think so? I do. I feel like a dumb-dumb. Wow. Yeah. You're very kind, my friend. I really appreciate (laughs) you having me on. This is my first interview I've ever done. So this has been really a a treat. I appreciate you paying attention. I hope you all enjoyed that episode of the Authentic Path podcast with Zach Johnston. It's really good to be back and recording new episodes and releasing new episodes. I'm super excited to bring you season two. We have a lot of really cool guests coming on, um, specifically talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, everything that's going on right now in the world, how that interacts with being an artist and being on your authentic path. And it's just a super, super interesting and in-depth look into authenticity and living life the way that I think that it should be lived and that a lot of my guests do too. So I hope you have enjoyed this episode and I will put out another one next week. So, and if you did enjoy it, I would really appreciate you dropping a rating on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's really easy. It takes you like 30 seconds and it makes a big difference for me. So Super appreciate that. I hope you have a great rest of your day and enjoy. This is Phelan, the host of the Authentic Path Podcast. See you next time.